so I don't know if it feels like the walls are closing on the season. It's just, um, it's a very different situation for us being from Canada than from people living in Belgium. Welcome to the Canadian Cycling Magazine podcast. I'm Matthew Piaro, editor of the magazine and your host. You just heard Magalie Rochette. She's the Canadian and Pan Am cyclocross champion, and she's been racing in Europe since early October. In the past two weeks, things have gotten tougher for Rochette. Cases of COVID-19 are growing in Europe. Countries have entered lockdowns. Some races are getting cancelled, but... Oddly, others are forging ahead. I spoke with Rochette recently, on the Monday following Copenburg Cross, which she had raced. She was in her camper van that carries her entire support crew. That is, David Gagnon, Rochette's partner, coach, mechanic, and, it's probably fair to say, general manager of Team Rochette, and their dog Mia. It's a small, nimble operation, but... They are wrestling with some big questions. They had come to Europe to race for months, which is a challenge for North American riders in the best of times. Now, they are wondering how safe it will be for them if they continue on. What if one of them should fall ill? How long will racing continue? From a distance, it might be easy to say, well, if you don't feel comfortable, you should just leave Europe. But remember, cyclocross is Rochette's job. Right now, there's not enough high-level racing on this side of the globe. If racing continues in Europe, and if she doesn't participate, it will have a negative effect on the next season. Rochette gets into these and other dilemmas. Rochette also talks about racing at the Mountain Bike World Championships in October, her creative projects, and even board games. Magali Rochette. It has been a nutty week. This past weekend, you raced Koppenberg Cross, but that wasn't part of your original plan. What race had you intended to do? Yeah, so you're right. Koppenberg wasn't our original plan. Our original plan was to race somewhere in Spain. So there was a UCI race in Spain. But on Wednesday night or Thursday morning, I forget, but I think 48 hours before the race, they announced they would cancel the race because of COVID, uh, the COVID situation in Spain. So we uh, quickly changed our plan and uh, headed towards Koppenberg. That's kind of the theme this year. Uh, It looks like it's easier for things to go to plan if you don't actually have a plan. So that seems to be how it works this, this season. I want to talk more about the racing in a minute, but I want to talk actually right now about the changing plans. It's the Monday we're speaking right after Copenburg, and you had an email go out recently, uh, your newsletter, and you're wrestling with a lot of big questions right now. Do you keep racing? The COVID cases in Europe are going up. Does it feel like the walls are closing in on your racing season? You know, yes and no. It's really, it's a really strange situation because since uh, last night, so on, I think, I think they announced it on Friday evening, but as of November 1st, so as of last night, Belgium is now into a lockdown. Um, France was already into lockdown since Friday. What's really weird is like everything is closed 
business are closing, like people can't get out of their homes. But it seems like cyclocross races are still happening, <laughs> which is in a sense like a really cool thing, but at the same time, really absurd, in my opinion. And so I don't know if it feels like the walls are closing on the season. It's just um, it's a very different situation for us being from Canada than from people living in Belgium. Um, you know, if I if I lived in Belgium, it would be really simple, like. It's really easy, even if it's a, in a lockdown, but you can still race. Like if I was at home and the race was 45 minutes from home, it would be simple and I would have all that I need in my country and I would feel safe there. And, and like all these things would be very simple. But in our situation, we're not from there. We don't speak the language. We don't have a place to stay. We don't really know where to go. If the races are canceled, we have to find another place to stay. It's not like we just stay home. So it's a very strange situation to be in. And honestly, we don't really know what's the right thing to do right now. Yeah, so very, very weird. What is the best case scenario or what is the plan A if you could keep racing and keep finding places to stay? I should mention you guys are in a camper van, so you're very mobile. But uh, what's the best case uh, situation, do you think, at the moment? Oh, man, that's a su it's such a good question. And to be honest with you, I, I don't know what is my best case scenario. I think... And, and David and I have been battling, battling with those questions, like what is responsible to do? Um, what do we want to do? What's, what's safe to do? You know, but when I was back home, I wasn't really scared of catching the virus. But when, when we're here and it's like the worst country, I think, on earth right now in Belgium uh, in COVID cases. And if we catch it here, we don't have the same like safety plan if you want that if we were at home like if let's say David catches it and he has to go to to the hospital and then I can't visit him and I have to take care of like the camper van and I don't know where to go and like it's it's a really hard situation to be in to be in so we're trying to be extremely careful with that so a part of us is a little bit scared of that so as much as I want the races to keep going I also want don't want to put ourselves in a not safe situation So yeah, I, I like it's such a hard thing to say, like, what is my best case scenario? At the same time, like I'm here, I'm already here and I'm feeling good on the bike. I'm in good shape right now. So I'm excited to race and I feel lucky every time I get to be on a start line. So part of me wants to keep racing. Other part of me doesn't really know if that's the right thing to do. So I think, you know what, the best case scenario you'd be, would be for the UCI to give us some real guidelines. Because that's another issue we've been facing. Like we've been losing so many UCI points this year. So I'm here, so it's not that bad. But everyone from North America, we have had zero races. So it would be a bummer if we don't race at all. But Belgium keeps racing. And then next year, we start the season being ranked 100. That would be really hard considering I started the season being ranked in third. So it would be really nice if the UCI gave everyone some strict guidelines, like either everything is canceled or you guys can keep racing, but all the points don't matter for next year when everything is back to normal or just some kind of guideline that could help us uh, make a good decision. Because right now it's, it's kind of hard. They're not talking. They're not telling us anything. So we want to keep racing. But at the same time, is it smart to encourage people to travel and be in big groups? I don't know. I don't know if that answers the questions really, but it's just, I, I honestly don't know what, what's our best case scenario. 
I don't think there is the answer, and that's why I I think your discussion is so important because you're you're wrestling with these large questions right on the ground in Belgium right now. What does it feel like around races? Like, how safe do they feel? Are people following protocols at cyclocross races? We've seen a lot from the road races, and we we saw that the Tour de France and the Vuelta seem to do a better job than the Giro. But how do you feel at cross races and and people's protocols and behaviors? So we've been feeling pretty safe because we're in a camper van. So really, like we're not in contact with that many people. So that's kind of that's kind of good. I have to say, though, I did the mountain bike world championships at the beginning of October, and that was extremely well done. Like everyone had to do a COVID test, multiple COVID tests, like one to get into Austria, then another one to get your accreditation. Everyone had masks and it like the entry on the site was very limited. So not a lot of people were there. I felt like that was really good. At the Belgian races, they, I think they try, but at the same time, like they never, they've never asked for anyone to have a negative test. They do take your temperature when you get on site, but that's it. You don't really have to show that you have a, a, a test and then you have to wear a mask. So I think like they're trying, there's no spectators. It's actually it, the, the fact that there's no spectators actually makes our job so much easier because we don't it's much easier to walk around for a mechanic. But also for us, like getting from our camper to the start line is much easier. Um, so I think like it's mostly safe. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, abs- a little bit weird that they are closing everything. But like a major event with thousands of people can still happen. Even though they're taking precaution, there are still a lot of people in the same place. That That's kind of how it's been. But I mean, it's not bad at all. Like, I, I don't feel nervous necessarily when I'm on, on a race site. Tell me more about Koppenberg Cross. It's a race you've wanted to do for some time. What was it about that race that interested you? I actually like hilly courses and I, I don't know what it was, but I guess the it felt like a kind of a race that you hear about a lot and the Kuppenberg is like this mythic climb and it just looked like a cool place and for two years ago when I came to Belgium for a while we were staying really close to the Kuppenberg so I was hearing all about it from the organizers and I don't know I just kind of always felt like it was a cool race and I wanted to do it. It's also one of those that I've been watching from home a lot because it's usually the week before our nationals or our Pan Am so and somehow, like, there's always, it, it's starting to be crappy weather at home. So it's usually like I'm riding the trainer and I've always, every year I watch that race. So somehow I, I wanted to be a part of it. And then, like, when we once we saw the course, it's really cool. It's a beautiful course. It's super hilly. It's much, it's very different than uh, typical Belgian cyclocross races. Yeah, I mean, a super cool race. Uh, I didn't do great, but it was still, um, it was still nice to be, to be there. I want to look now at the two races before Koppenberg. On October 24th, you were 8th at the Super Prestige event. And October 18th, you were 2nd at the Bern installment of the Swiss Cyclocross Tour. A Dutch rider, Denise Betsema, was ahead of you in both races. And just to remind listeners, Betsema served a six-month ban for testing positive for steroid use. You've been critical of the way Betsema's case has been handled. And now you're racing with her. Do you have any uh, interactions with her, like other than on the race course? Not really. I, I think she is aware that I don't agree with um, 
what she did. And so she's not even looking at me, to be honest. What was really interesting, though, about that is that I've I've been vocal about my opinion on her case. And my opinion is that I don't agree with how it was treated. And to be to be fair, like, it's not against the girl herself. It's about the situation. I'm I want a clean sport. And what she did was not I mean, if, if it's accepted that she you can be tested positive, failing a drug test twice for steroids and still come back six months later. That's not acceptable in my opinion. So that's mostly why I'm be, being vocal. Like it's nothing about, like, I don't know the girl. Maybe she's a nice person, but she did make a bad decision and I don't support that. So I've been very vocal about that on social media. And what was really interesting to me is that after I talked about it on social media, some Belgian writers that I race with came to see me and said, wow, thank you for saying that. Uh, we really, I, we wanted to, we want to say something or we want to comment on your, la on your post, but we can't because we're kind of part on, of the same teams. Like in Belgium, the teams, many of the teams are owned by the one team owner. So the 777 and then uh, Kriatid shop or whatever but all like and and bing and bingo they're all owned by the same owner so it was really interesting for me to hear that my colleagues were supporting me in what i was saying and they don't agree either but they they kind of don't want to say anything because their job is on the line that was really special i, I didn't think they would say anything like that but more than one writers came to see me and wanted to thank me for being vocal about it That's interesting because she is on a pretty significant team. Like her teammates include Maud Captains and, and Lawrence Sweek and uh, Eli Iserbit. So it's not like she's shoved off into a corner on some, some little team by herself. She's still very much a part of the sport. So I just, I wonder, um, yeah, how she's, I guess you've given us some idea about how she's perceived within that um, Northern European community. To me, it's weird that It's accepted and she's back on the team like nothing happened. And that's a big difference between racing in Europe and what racing is here in North America. In North America, if someone gets caught because they failed a drug test because they took steroids, like we, I think the culture here in North America is that that person will be shamed and will never be able to step foot in cycling again. In their culture, she was back the day after her ban was over and she was back racing on the same team. Like nothing happened. So it's just a very different culture. And that's why I was surprised that some of uh, my fellow racers, like people I race against, came to see me and supported what I said. That was like, I didn't, I was really surprised about that. But that was cool to hear that they were, they, they were thinking the same thing as I was. You brought up the idea of differences between uh, European racing and North American racing. This is the time of year that you are usually in North America. You're, you should be defending your Canadian uh, Maple Leaf jersey right now or about this time. And you should also be defending, you know, if everything was normal, uh, your Pan Am Championship jersey. Is there anything you miss from the old North American cross schedule other than, say, defending the, the jerseys? Is there anything else about racing here that you might miss? Oh, yeah. I mean, everything. I love racing. I love racing in North America. I, I miss... You know, I miss when you get there on a Friday night and everyone's there, all the teams and you can like you can just 
mingle with people and chat and like exchange stories and like everyone's helping each other. And it, it really is a community here. Uh, I mean, here, well, in North America. So I mean, that I miss that. I miss the people. We have some fun venues, some fun courses. I miss it a lot. But that being said, we we are starting to enjoy it a lot more here in Europe. I mean, a lot of things are, are really different and difficult, but we're starting to know more people. So it's not like we're as alone, as lonely as we were. So we're starting to have a somewhat of a community here. And I feel like the other writers in the Peloton respect me a little bit more now. And we I'm able to chat with them before the race briefly, but I feel like I belong in the Peloton a lot more. And that's been really cool. But yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it, in North America, we've been all racing together for years and we're all friends. So it's really, I miss that. I miss the, can you, like, I, I probably will mess up that word, but the camaraderie of uh, North American racing. I, I, I miss that. Yeah. Maybe you could talk more about that development with your relationship with Europe, because I know you used to go maybe shortly after Christmas and you try to just keep it short and focused because Europe in January is kind of a bummer. And it was often you and your partner, David Gagnon, you know, as your own sort of team. So tell me more about how you've become more comfortable with just being in Europe. Two years ago, we tried to spend three months here. And after a month and a half, we couldn't handle it anymore. So we, we went back home. And so next, last year, we tried a different strategy and we came for a little bit. So we would come for two weeks at a time, do one or two races, then go back home and do a few back and forths. But this year, that was not possible. So we're here and until further notice, we're here. But the one thing we figured out is that if we're able to spend a nice week and have good training, then it's much easier to stay positive and keep a good momentum going and so when we get to the races we're feeling happy feeling fit we we're just in really good vibes and so it's easier to race when you're feeling like that and when you're in those good conditions for us what that means is sometimes we will drive more if that means we can be in a nice place to train all week instead of staying in belgium when it's raining and cold and we have to ride the bike path the same bike path every day. So yeah, I mean, that's one thing we've been doing this for the last month. And it's been really, really fun. To be honest, it's been our best trip in Europe so far. I think we're slowly trying to figure out what works for us. I mean, that said, like, it's still not as easy as when we're back home. Like, it's little details, you know, but if you're not in a very positive mindset, those small details can break you. So for example, like, they don't, have tech guides here for their races. So you know the race is in Rudevoord, for example. So you map Rudevoord on your phone, but then you show up there and there's no more indications. So you have to find where the race is. And and it's usually not in the park, so it's not easy to find. You like you drive around town and then you finally find signs that point you to the race. But sometimes it can take like 45 minutes to actually get to like once you're in town, 45 minutes to find the actual race. And then when you find the race, you still didn't find the parking because you can't park on the race course. It's usually not not possible. So then you try to find the parking. And then for that race, for example, in Rudevoort, we did find the parking. And once we did, they told us, oh, 
well, no, that's that's the parking for women, but you're from Canada, so you're going to have to go in the juniors parking, which is like two kilometers further away. So it's small details, but it makes everything a little bit more complicated. There's just hurdles before even getting to the start line. And if you're not in a positive mindset, those can just break you. So that's why like, we've been making it important to uh, spend a nice week be able to train well because that's the other thing like if you're stuck in a shitty place and it's cold and rainy and there's just one bike path like maybe you train a little bit less because you instead of doing that four-hour ride you're scared of being sick so maybe you do two but as the weeks accumulate you kind of start losing fitness and and then it's not fun racing here if you're not at your 100% fitness because the girls are so strong so all of these things, to, like the, these little details we learned over the years, and I feel like now we've found a system that works for us a lot better. Your European trip started with a mountain bike race, with a few mountain bike races. You did the, the World Championship e-mountain bike race, and then you did a regular, regular cross-country race. And then, actually, you went over and won a cyclocross race. What was it like doing these three disciplines uh, in such a short amount of time? It was really fun. Actually, doing the Mountain Bike World Championships at the beginning of the trip started the trip on a really high note. It was really cool. We were with the specialized team. They, I mean, it, they were really cool people. So it was fun to be there. And Austria was a great place. I did those races and I had no expectations, but that was a really good way to get back into racing because it had been a while. Like everyone else, like I didn't race since uh, Cyclocross World, so since February. So it felt really good to have a few races under my belt. And then like, we were leaving the cross-country mountain bike world and we're, we were going to go towards Bern because we know we, we wanted to do a race uh, in Switzerland there the, the week after. And as I'm driving, someone writes to me on Instagram like, hey, are you doing the that race, like the Steenmoor race in, in Switzerland? And I said like, oh, well, no, because I, I thought it was the same day as the cross-country mountain bike worlds. But then I looked it up and it was the day after. So we were like an hour away from that venue when I figured, when we figured that out. That's the nice thing about having a camper. We just decided, all right, we'll just like sleep there on the race site and race there in the morning. So yeah, we did that and it was really cool. Then I felt really good on the cyclocross bike. It felt good to reconnect with those feelings. And yeah, I mean, it just started the trip on a really, really high note. And and it kind of confirmed to us that having the camper van was a good move because it allowed us to be so flexible with our plans. When you made it to the Cross Country World Championships, it had been five years, I think, since your last mountain bike worlds. And then since then, you've been focusing much more on cross. Has focusing on cyclocross in any way uh, diminished your cross country abilities? Have you noticed anything like that? Mm, I don't know. I think as a racer, I probably matured a little bit. That helped me in a sense. I also like I had also no expectations from for the cross country. I actually specialized lend me a bike the day before. So it was really a no kind of low expectation thing. I mean, when you're racing, you still want to do well. So I don't know if cross helped me in any way. It's I realized, though, that it's a very it, it was a very different effort especially that course had a lot of climbing. So it was like long climbs that were super steep. 
And in cyclocross, I train a lot more for punchy stuff. So real like short sprints and short accelerations, whereas the mountain bike worlds was like some five minutes, like steady and then downhill and then five minutes again. It's very different, but at the same time, like pedaling a bike is pedaling a bike. So you're kind of, you know, I felt ready enough to be part of that of that world championship group. Off the bike, you've been pretty busy this year. You've put out a book. You've done a series of skills videos. You have a podcast. What drives these creative projects? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, we had time this year, I guess. We had time. <laughs> so that's one thing. But also, I enjoy doing those little things. So the, the photo book was mostly as a hobby. I started taking pictures and photos. And I kind of gave myself a goal that I wanted to create a book at some point. And that goal was kind of a way to challenge myself and force myself to keep practicing and always keep taking photos. Having that goal in mind just helped me to like keep up with, with the hobby and just keep learning. That was really a fun thing to do. And then I figured like might as well sell it and raise funds for the CX Fever. The podcast is something I had in my mind for a long time, like five years ago, maybe. And I actually bought equipment before and then it all got stolen one time when our house got robbed i kind of let go of the project but it kept it it was still like in my mind and um this year i thought it's probably a good year to do it so i finally did it and it's been really fun to kind of take the time to actually talk with all these interesting people i guess in a very selfish way it gives me an excuse to chat with these like, interesting people that i'm lucky enough to know or know a little bit that's been really fun and i yeah i just think it's cool to do other stuff and kind of challenge myself in a creative way and not just on the bike it's stimulating and i feel like i'm learning a lot doing it it's super cool are there any similarities between creating something like a book or even just your love of photography and training and racing yes and no like it's um for me i see it as different things but at the same time it's both Outlets help me to grow, if that makes sense. So I can challenge myself in cycling and racing, and I can challenge myself in trying to improve my photography or trying to do a better interview when I talk to people. So it's always, for me, a way of learning continually. I've always had a creative side. I'm not like a good artist or anything like that, but I enjoy challenging myself creatively, and I admire artists and creative people a lot. On the bike, I get to challenge myself in many different ways, like physically and mentally. And But I don't feel like it's challenging me creatively as much. So those outlets help me to do that. One of your traveling companions in your uh, camper van is Mia, your dog. How is she enjoying Europe? You know what? She's actually, I think, she's. she looks like she's loving it. That's that's another thing that COVID changed our plans on because we were we had a puppy, we had her in April. And then our plan was when we got her, we asked our parents and our close contacts if they could keep her while we were going to race for two or three weeks at a time in Europe. And people said yes. But now this time we realized that if we were going to Europe, it might be for a really long period of time. And we didn't want to first impose that on people but also she's still pretty young she's still she just eight months now so we thought if we leave for three or four months while she's just eight months that's a long period of time to be away from her and she still kind of 
doing her education, if that makes sense. So we wanted her to be with us and we decided to bring her. So it's been really fun to have her for so many reasons. A dog is always happy. A dog is simple. If we're not feeling well, she's always smiling. She's always goofing around and running around. So it's a reminder that like what's really important it changes your perspective when you get nervous or whatever and she's there goofing around you're like oh well I guess she's right you know like it's it's not it's not like the world's not ending it's pretty it's it's all good I think she also encourages us to to do something while we're in Europe because that's the other thing sometimes it can get boring let's say you only have a two or three hour ride in a day and then that's it like you have nothing else to do but with her there's always a little more like we go for a walk in the morning then we go training then we play with her we have like there's always something so she keeps us busy for example today we just went on a big hike in a mountain we probably wouldn't have done the detour if she wasn't there but now she's here so we did it and it's like such a great memory that we created because she's here so it's been really fun Apart from training and dog walks, I think I saw a photo of uh, you and David playing cards to pass the time. What card game was that? Oh, you know, we play a lot, but for the last two days, we've been playing Skipbo. We brought a few board games that are easy to travel with. We've been doing that for a few years, and it's kind of nice, you know, sometimes like if you don't have anything to do, you'll just look at your phone for hours and that's not very stimulating. Board games are cool. And uh, yeah, we've been playing a little bit. Is it competitive? Uh, we're both we're both pretty competitive, but we keep it we keep it friendly. I'm almost afraid to ask who wins more. Last night, David won. And the night before I had won. So we're we're even for now. <laughs> But David, you know, David is really good at board games, so I, I have a really strong opponent. Magali, thank you for your time. I hope um, it's easy to wish someone good luck, you know, with races, but I feel like I'm wishing you even more luck with just all the challenges you face now in Europe. And I hope it goes smoothly and safely for you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And uh, hello to everyone in Canada. Thanks for following. And yeah, thank you for doing that, Matthew. That was fun. And that's the episode. It's written and edited by me, Matthew Piaro. I had help from web editors Terry McCall and Lily Hansen-Gillis. The podcast is produced by Adam Killick. He composed the music, too. Thanks to Ontario Creates for its support. And thank you for listening. Please rate and review the show, ride safely, and I'll talk to you later. Later.